what we're going to be looking at is righteousness by faith versus righteousness by works. Okay? Righteousness by faith versus righteousness by works. So let's begin with a word of prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the good food that you've given to us. Thank you for this time again that we can come to study your word once more. I pray that you would please be with us and once again guide us with your spirit, O Lord, and help us to understand this most important topic of faith. Thank you for your praying in Jesus' name. Amen. So I told you we're going to be studying about Abraham. And uh, before we get into it, I, I'm going to be using the whiteboard a lot. So if you would like to move over this side, I'm sorry, it's not, uh, it's, it's not on wheels, so I can't bring it to the center. So uh, I hope you will all be able to see. But um, I like to use the whiteboard when it comes to teaching. So if you need to move, feel free to move over now so that we don't have to move over in the middle of it. But um, <clears throat> for everyone else, let's move over, turn our pages to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and starting in verse 20. And if you're familiar with James chapter 2 especially, um, you're going to know that it talks a lot about faith and works. Faith and works. And so, yes, we are going to look at works for a little bit here, but it's really mainly faith that we are interested in. But let's go to James chapter 2 and starting in verse 20. Okay? James chapter 2 and verse 20. The Bible says, But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is what? dead, okay? Faith without works is dead. But then it jumps into this illustration of Abraham, okay? Was not Abraham our father justified by what? Okay, give me another word for justified. Made righteous, right? So wasn't Abraham our father made righteous by I mean, we'll be expecting faith there, right? But here it says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? So we know that story, right? How Abraham was asked to sacrifice Isaac his son, and he was ready to plunge the knife down and kill his son, right? Verse 22, though. Seest thou... How faith wrought with works, and by works was faith made what? Perfect. Somehow, works has a role in making faith perfect. Which means, follow along with me for a minute, which means the time before Abraham was ready to offer his son Isaac, Abraham's faith was not what? perfect. Is that clear? Abraham's was, faith was not perfect before God called him to offer his son Isaac on the altar. But then, verse 23, and the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. So look, 
Here is the perfect example of mingling together of faith and works. When did the situation take place? Can you find it for me in your Bibles? Does anybody have a center column reference in your Bible? You know, like my Bible has a center, middle column reference. Does anybody have that? It's like a little cheat sheet, okay? Because you look it up and the center column will tell you where this is from. But does anybody know, in verse 23 of James 2, 2 it says, Abraham believed God. The scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. James is quoting from the Old Testament here. Does anybody know where that's found? Genesis, okay. Which chapter? Which verse? Hey? I heard someone say something. Ah, have you got a certain column reference there? Or you just know that. That's nice. Okay, so Genesis chapter 15. Let's all go there, okay? And I want to start actually in verse 1, but we're going to make our way all the way to verse 6, all right? We're going to start in verse 1, but we're going to make our way all the way to verse 6. So Genesis 15, now let me write that here. Okay, Genesis 15, let's pick it up in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, or Abraham, sorry, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. So what is Abraham saying to God? He's saying, look, I haven't got any seed, uh, but look, my, my servant is really faithful, Eliezer. In other words, he's like, please, bless him, right? Let him be the inheritor of this promise. And Abraham said, Behold, to me thou hast given me no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. Verse 4, And the, behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. So he said, Eliezer is not going to be that heir, okay? Even though you think he's a good man, and maybe he was born in your house and became your servant, that's not the one. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Made it very clear, right? It's going to come from your own bowels. It's going to be your biological son that will be the heir. Then, verse 5, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And then verse 6 is where James quoted from. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. What did Abraham believe? In the Lord about what? That he would have an heir from his own bowels, right? At that time, did he have any heir from his own bowels? No. But yet the Bible said he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Question. Had Abraham done anything yet? All he did was believe. Okay? He hadn't done anything except, God, I believe you. And God says, you're righteous. Okay? 
So, could we say that Abraham had faith at this point in time? Yeah, he had faith, right? Um, all he did was believe. But, Rambo, we, we saw in James 2 that his faith was not perfect until when? When he held, he was ready to sacrifice his son by plunging that knife down into his heart or wherever and kill him, right? So, when did that take place in Genesis? Can you find the chapter where Abraham was called of God to sacrifice his son Isaac? Genesis 18? No. Genesis 22. Okay? This was the chapter, and this is where you can read it in your own time. We're not going to go through all of it. But Genesis 22 is where Abraham is called by God, and he said, Sacrifice thine son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and offer him as a sacrifice upon a mountain, I'll show you. This was a place where God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Okay? His faith was counted to him for righteousness. He believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Where? Genesis 15. Abraham had done how much? Nothing. Was he righteous? Yes. Right? What was not perfect, though? His faith. Okay? Are you with me? His faith was not made perfect yet, but at that very point in time, Abraham was righteous. Okay? Now, just in case you think that Abraham all of a sudden believed out of nowhere, I want to show you that God was building Abraham's faith step by step, to this point. Do you know how difficult it was for him to believe? Anybody know? Does anybody know how old Abraham was in Genesis 15 there? 98? No, he wasn't 98. Anybody know? He was about 85 years old. Okay? 80 to 85, I don't know the exact date, but I'll give you a more specific time when we get on a bit later. But he was about 80 plus already. And look, they didn't live that much longer than we did. Maybe a few more years, but they weren't living 500 or 600 years anymore back then. They were already at the most 120, 140 years. Okay? And so look, Abraham was around 80 plus years old when God gave him this promise and he had been past the point of being able to have children. It even happens to men, not just women. Okay? So, my question is this. Actually, you know, I told you I would show you how God was building his faith, right? Come with me to Genesis 12. <clears throat> you know, many people don't understand how radical Abraham's faith was and how he depended upon God so much. Okay? So let's go to Genesis chapter 12, and I'll show you. You know, God doesn't expect you to run before you can walk. 
He doesn't expect you to move mountains if you can't move a little flower. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abraham, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. Okay? So the word of God came to Abraham at the beginning saying what? Get thee out of thy country. Keep going. What else? Okay, from thy father's house and from thy kindred. And what else? And to a land that I will show thee. Did Abraham, Abraham at that time know where he was going? No. So here's the thing. You're Abraham, right? You start packing up all your possessions. Your neighbor comes along. Your friends come along. Abraham, where are you going? What's your reply? I don't know. What's your next question? Why are you doing this? Why? Tell me. God told me to. Okay? God didn't tell you where to go? No? Okay. What else would you ask? What else would you ask, Abraham? If God didn't tell you where to go, then how do you know where to go? What's your answer? He said he will what? He'll show me. Uh, okay. So where? Where? I don't know. So what do you know? Uh, God told me to get out of here. Okay. You see, sometimes God doesn't expect us to know the end from the beginning. He just expects us to know His command. Question, was the command clear? Yes or no? Yes, it was. Get out of the country. I know, it doesn't say, it doesn't say the end, but is there something He could act upon? Yes. Look, let, let me show you how God has to build our faith. Because when we get to Genesis 15, God said, can you count the stars? He said what? No. no. And then God said what? Your seed will be like the stars of heaven. You can't count them. And Abraham looks around and is like, I don't even have one seed yet, God. And you told me that Ishmael's not, uh, Ishmael, uh, Eliezer is not the one. You know why he could believe that way? Because in Genesis 12, he believed it and God led him every time he put his foot forward. Do you see that? He had faith in the Word of God only. Because if he didn't have the faith in the Word of God only, he would not have gone out from his country until God showed him where to go. Right? 
You see, as children of God, when we depend upon the Word of God only, He's not asking you to have the clear and perfect answer for everybody. Because Abraham sounded crazy when his friends asked him, where are you going? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) And it's like, you don't know? And God told you and you don't know still? What? This doesn't sound right. Are you with me? He depended upon the word of God only. And all the word of God told him was, get out of your country. Look, I can't tell you the end from the beginning of what's going to happen when you keep the Sabbath. All I can tell you is God told us to keep it holy and don't work. Amen. Right? I can't tell you that you're going to keep your job. I can't tell you you're going to lose your job. I can't tell you you're going to find a better job. I can't tell you the end. But I can tell you what God made very clear. Depending upon the Word of God only. Because if he had looked at his surroundings, he might not have depended upon the Word of God. Because he did not know where God was leading him. Of course we know that God led him to Canaan, ultimately, right? But now we get to Genesis 15, and God has been leading him to different places. He's still alive, but on top of that, he's prospered too, right? God has been blessing him. So now when God comes to him in Genesis 15 and says, your seed, even though, you don't have, even though you don't have any, your seed is going to be like the stars of heaven. And Abraham believed God. That was it. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And God made it very clear that what? The seed would come out of his own bowels is not your adopted son, not from anybody. It will be your biological son. Question. This is a sacrifice of Isaac, right? What happened between Genesis 15 and Genesis 2 that showed us that Abraham's faith was not perfect? Ah, you all know, okay? Hagar and what? Ishmael. Okay? Hagar was who? The maid of Sarah, right? And you know what's really interesting? Come with me to Genesis 16, verse 2. This is why his faith was not perfect. Genesis chapter 16, verse 2. And Sarai said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord had restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abraham hearkened to the voice of who? Sarah. For a moment... Abraham's faith swerved from the perfect integrity of his faith. (laughs) For that moment, instead of holding and depending and expecting the word of God 
to do what it would say, not just for him, but also for Sarah, he went and listened to his wife. And you know, this is always the problem with the day and age we're living in. Man's words versus God's words. Do you see that? And Sarah said what? The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. She blamed God. And so Abraham, he acted upon that, and guess what? Ishmael was born when he was 86 years old. Abraham was 86 at this time. Okay? Thirteen years later, God comes to Abraham again. At that point, he is 99. Okay? Thirteen years, God does not say anything. For thirteen years. And Abraham, he cherishes Ishmael like he is the promised son. You know, this is it's very difficult. <laughs> To understand this, but for 13 years, Abraham believes that Ishmael is a promised son. And God comes back to him and says, You know, this is not the one. <laughs> you you got to imagine how much in shock Abraham is in. You know? But at 99 years old, God re establishes. His promise with Abraham. Come with me to Genesis 17 and verse 19. Genesis 17 and verse 19. You see, in Genesis 17, 19, are we all there? The Bible says, And God said, Sarah thy wife, now he makes it very clear, shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So, <clears throat> God makes it very clear at the age of 99 that he's going to have a son with who this time? Sarah, right? And does, he, does anybody know how much younger Sarah was than Abraham? He was 10 years, she was 10 years younger. You know, at the age of 76, which was when Abraham was 86, right? Sarah's womb, at the age of 76, was already dead. Remember, she said, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing, right? 13 years later, she's 89. Do you think her womb got any better? What do you think? You know... At 89, it took even more faith than when she was 76. Don't you think so? The promise that God was trying to establish with Abraham and Sarah at the beginning, when they were a bit younger, now was 13 years delayed. It took even more faith. But God made it very clear. He said what? Through your wife, Sarah. Okay? You know what righteousness by works is? is taking the promise of God and applying it in the wrong way. 
The end does not justify the means. Do you understand what I mean by that? Like, let me give you an example. You know, people say the end justifies the means, all right? Um, my end result is justified by how I got there. So if God comes up to you and says, son, you're going to be a millionaire, you're like, sweet. Let me go rob a bank. Boom. I got my million. Thank you, God. <laughs> right? Why'd you rob a bank, son? God told me I was going to be a millionaire. You know what I mean? The end does not justify your means. Just because God said you're going to be a millionaire, it doesn't mean you're allowed to go and rob a bank. Thou shalt not steal, right? In the same way, he took the promise, but what did he do here? What do we call this? Compromise? Be more specific. What do we call that? It's adultery. It's like, okay, God, she's not the one that can have children. Okay, let me have this one. And he took the promise of God and he applied it here instead. Instead of having faith for his wife as well. Do you see that? That's righteousness by works. He tried to do it himself. He didn't go, God, Sarah can't bear, so can you open up her womb? He said, Sarah can't bear, so I've got to go find somebody else. Are you with me? It's like, God said it's not good for man to be alone. So let me go find a... That's non-Adventist. God, you said it's not good for man to be alone. <laughs> right? We take God's promises, but we apply it wrong. We apply it wrong. And we try to use our own human effort and our own tools and methods of conversion to fulfill God's promise. That is wrong. Absolutely wrong. Abraham's faith was not perfect at this time. And I'm going to show you why God had to do this, okay? Ask Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac, all right? Now, I, wanna, I want you to come with me to Romans chapter 4. This is really interesting. Romans chapter 4, it talks about Abraham and Sarah, actually, and how they were able to have a son by the name of Isaac, okay? Romans chapter 4, I told you the book of Romans is all about righteousness by faith. But now, Romans chapter 4 <clears throat> And starting in verse 19, speaking of Abraham and Sarah, Romans chapter 19. I'm sorry, I'm feeling a little bit warm in here. Are you guys feeling the same? No? You're okay? Okay. I just felt like I'm starting to sweat and it, you know, it gets warm, you feel sleepy. All right. So Romans chapter 4, verse 19. The Bible says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So you see very clearly, Isaac hasn't come yet, right? He was about a hundred, Sarah's 89, and he said what? He didn't look at his own body being dead, and means he couldn't give seed anymore, and he didn't look at Sarah's womb, which couldn't 
have the eggs to be fertilized as well, right? Verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. So when God came to him again in Genesis chapter 17, and he said, Ishmael's not the one, it's Isaac, um, he staggered not at the promise. He believed with all his heart. Okay, God, you said it's me and Sarah? Okay. Verse 21. And being what? Say that again. And being what? Fully persuaded. Do you know this is the problem with our faith? Many times we are not fully persuaded. We look at that text in Matthew 5, 48, be therefore perfect, and we go, God, that's not possible. Are you sure? And we are not fully persuaded. But I imagine what Abraham was doing. God said, you're going to have a son, and your wife is going to have a son. And I just imagine Abraham's like, yes! <laughs> He's so fully persuaded, yes! The, love, the, 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 the woman whom I love, she's going to be the mother of my favorite son. It's going to be Isaac. And he was just partying. He was just so happy. He was fully persuaded when God said, even though you're 99 and Sarah's 89 and both of you, impossible to have a child, he was fully persuaded that he would have that child. And therefore, verse 22, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, but that it was imputed to him. It wasn't written just for Abraham, okay? But it's written for us too. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if what? We believe on Him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. It comes back to our belief. Do you know why the story of Abraham was written? It's to help us to believe. For our faith. Okay? And Abraham believed that even though the deadness of their, womb, their, their reproductive organs, right? Of their bodies. Both of them had this problem, right? Abraham could not produce any more seed. Sarah could not produce any more eggs, right? Both their bodies were dead, but he didn't stagger at the promise. He did not look at the physical. He believed what? On the word of God only. And he expected the word of God to do what it said. And he depended upon the word of God to do what it said. Now, let me go into a little bit of more detail to imagine this. Do you think Abraham waited for Sarah to have a period before he believed her womb was back? Yes or no? What do you think? No. I mean, it doesn't say, right? But I want you to think about this. How, how, how did Abraham know his body was back to life? Except they go in and sleep together, right? He wouldn't have done that if he didn't believe that. 
God would fulfill his word. Do you see that? You guys with me? So Abraham acted on the promise of God. Now, by this time it was too late. God said, your faith is not perfect. So, 17 years later, Abraham's 117, Ishmael's a big boy by now. And in Genesis 22, God says what? With his words, he says what? Take now thine son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and what? Sacrifice him on a mountain that I will show thee of. There are two contradictions. There's one contradiction with God's word. In Genesis 17 or 16, he said what? Through Isaac, your seed will come. Now in Genesis 22, God says what? I want you to kill Isaac. Here's a promise. Here's a command. What would you do if you were Abraham? Uh, but God, he's the promised one. Why do you want me to kill him? Are you sure? Is this clear? Do you see that? And he had a contradiction in his mind of what? Of what? God's word. You see, God, it wasn't about the physical act itself. It was seeing whether Abraham truly would obey the word of God. Right? And so, I want you to come with me to Hebrews 11. Let me show you this. This is how we grow in faith, okay? Hebrews 11, and we're going to read verses 17, 18, and 19. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 17. Hebrews eleven seventeen. 17. The account of how Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and when he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So, you know, he reminded him, you know, he, he knew the promise, through Isaac your seed will be called, but yet he has to kill him, right? But this is the reason why Abraham did it. Verse 19. Accounting. What's another word for accounting? Assuming? Believing? Accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the what? Dead. From whence he also he received him in a figure. Look, what's the reason why Abraham was willing to go ahead and sacrifice his son Isaac? What was it? 
Huh? Okay, more specific. Because he believed, but more specific. He believed what? Don't, don't tell me he believed in God. That's too general. What did he believe? He believed that God was willing and not willing. He was able to resurrect his son. So you know, Abraham, I know he, it must have been a difficult time. But he believed that, God, I'm going to kill him and you're going to resurrect him. I know what you're trying to do. That's what he believed. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. Before Genesis 22, Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 21, do you see anywhere there a resurrection? Yes or no? Do you know anywhere where Abraham could have looked at a story like Elijah, he resurrected the, the widow's son? Is there any resurrection in Genesis 1 to 21? Yes or no? Hmm? Verse 19 of Hebrews 11? No, no, before that. Because, you see, while Abraham was on the way to Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac, the Bible tells us what he's thinking. He believes that God would be able to resurrect his son, right? My question is this. How did he know God could resurrect him? Had he ever seen a resurrection? Had he read about a resurrection? Had there been any news about any resurrection? Then how did he know God would do it? God's word? God never said he would resurrect him. But now God is telling you to kill him. Ah, <laughs> I know, but... There was a resurrection. Do you know that? Do you get it? I wrote this on here for you guys, but you never looked here. What did God resurrect? Their reproductive organs. Was that a human dead-to-life resurrection? No. This is not kind of a resurrection, but it has a form of a resurrection, doesn't it? It brought back to life something that was dead. And that's why Abraham could believe in a resurrection, even though he'd never seen a dead man come back to life, he saw his dead body come back to life. And he saw Sarah's dead body come back to life. Do you see that? How to grow in faith? God, God did not present him this test until he had gone through all of this. Do you see that? Faith that God would resurrect his son because he'd seen it in the past with his own body. <laughs> Gave that evidence. That evidence. And so even though he'd never seen a real-life human coming back from the dead, back to life, he believed that God could do it because he did it for his body. That, my friends, is perfect faith.
because he staggered at the promise here when his wife, not God, told him to go into Hagar, right? And so God had to test him again based upon what? His word. Here's my promise again, but are you going to obey my word? Offer your son Isaac. And he, not just in this point of the, the, their dead bodies, but even at the time of Isaac, he was fully persuaded that God could bring back to life his son. God never told Abraham and Sarah that I would resurrect your dead body. He just said, through the two of you, you will have a son, right? (laughs) Even though it was past, it was already expired, right? In the same way, God said that Isaac is your chosen son through him. And he clung to that promise. And the only way that he could see this being fulfilled and still obey sacrificing his son, he had to believe in a resurrection. Why? Because God does not lie. When he said it, it will perform it. And so he he had to try to harmonize these two promises. And the only way he could harmonize it was with the resurrection. Do you see that? Look, God says, you are my people. You're a holy nation. And it's the word of God that will make you holy. You might not be able to harmonize that in your life right now. Maybe you're not living a holy life. But the word of God says you can. Do you see that? And it's up to you to believe it. But it was works that made it perfect. But let me ask you, what enabled Abraham to do this? His faith. And now give me again the definition of faith. Faith is expecting what? The Word of God to do what it says and depending upon it to do what it says, right? Now, if you come back with me to Romans chapter 4, you'll see this really interesting question now answered because many people get confused about this statement in Romans 4. I skipped it. It's not verse 19. I think it's verse 18. (laughs) Okay? Romans 4 verse 18, the Bible says this. Who against hope believed in hope? Do you see that? Against hope, he believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Against hope, he believed in hope. When he looked at the deadness of Sarah's womb and the deadness of his own body, he had no hope whatsoever. But you know what gave him hope? What was it? What gave him hope? 
the Word of God. Friends, your only hope must not be in what you see in the mirror every day. Your hope must be in the Word of God. And when that Bible says that you can be holy, that you can be righteous, that you can be perfect, it should stir up hope within your hearts. Amen? Not because you see your life changing already and there's some good coming out of it and people are saying what a wonderful person you are. That's not it. When you look in the mirror, you see no hope, just like what Abraham saw with his wife and his own body. There was no hope. God, she hasn't bought, we, we haven't had children for 13 years. We've been trying. None. None. And actually before that, we tried many times too. And you still didn't give me a son, so that's why I had Ishmael. You know what I mean? I had no hope. Against hope, he believed in hope. <laughs> when you look at your life, and you're all these bad things, that people say you are, and maybe it's true. You don't look for hope in the mirror. You don't look for hope in the comfort of your friends. You look for hope in the Word of God. And that's it. If you have any hope in yourself, it's righteousness by works. Do you know that? If there's even a small possibility that you can accomplish this, you will not depend fully on Christ. You know what I mean? But this is why works is so important. Because it reveals our faith. All works does is reveal your faith. And that's it. Nothing else. Do you see that? Look, are fruits important? Yes. Are the fruits of the Christian and the tree and the fruits that they bear, is that important? Yes. Do we judge? Yes or no? Yes. Any person who says, don't judge me, it's impossibility. Can you just stop saying that as Christians, please? Stop judging me. Everyone judges. I walk in here and I'm wearing a black tie and black shoes. If I wore runners, you'd be judging me. Why is the speaker wearing runners? You know what I mean? We all judge one another. We've we, we got to just stop talking about that. If you've got bad fruits, what's the problem? If a Christian is cursing, breaking the Sabbath, Killing, stealing, what's the problem? You don't know? I've been telling you this all the time. They have no faith. So what should you do? How, how can you help them? Huh? Help them to get back to the Word of God, right? How do you do that? Hey, the Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Hey, thou shalt not steal. Is that what you should do? Are you sharing the word of God with them? Yeah, do you think it will help them? No. So what should you do? 
You know, as Adventists, we do this though. Come with me to Psalms chapter 1. I want to show you this. Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. Speaking about a righteous man, right? Psalms chapter 1, verse 3. The Bible says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall, not, shall prosper. Okay? Look, in Psalm chapter 1, it talks about a righteous man, how it's planted next to what? It's planted next to a river. Is this a good tree or a bad tree? How do you know it's a good tree? Whatsoever he does shall prosper. What else? He bears fruit. What else? And the leaves do not wither. Okay, look, you have to understand why God talks about a tree next to a river. It doesn't say that it's planted in a rainforest where it's very humid. It doesn't even talk about sunlight, which we know is essential for a tree, right? Why, what's good about the tree when it's planted by the river of water? Obviously, the water is helping the tree, correct? Yeah? So what's good about the tree? That helps it to get that water that's running right next to it. What's good? It's roots. Agree? Yeah? So look, you have to understand why David is writing it this way. He said this tree is next to the water, so that means, as a result, it must get its water from its roots. Its root system is very good, right? How do you know a tree's roots are good? Because of the? What else? One more thing. It's written there. The leaves, right? Can you see the fruit and the leaves? Are they visible? Can you go and inspect? I'm not a botanist, you know. I don't, I don't really know how they do it, but, you know, I don't know if they drill a hole in the tree and figure out whether it's good or not, but can you, if the tr- tree's leaves are withering, it's a bad tree, right? True? But you know, as Seventh-day Adventists, you know what we do? We go up to the tree when it's got bad fruit and bad leaves. You know what we do? We pluck up all the fruits. Ah, silly tree. Next year, grow better fruit. And we walk away. Do you think it helps? But you know, many of us go, hey, don't you know you shouldn't be playing basketball on Sabbath? Don't you know you shouldn't be watching TV on Sabbath? Don't you know you shouldn't be shopping on Sabbath? Don't you know you shouldn't be eating pork? Wow, your mother didn't teach you? Then they go to the mother. What kind of mother are you? You know what I mean? That's judging. But, you know, all of us judge from the aspect of, hey, that's bad fruit. Bad leaves. But what should we do about it? Tell me. Clean up the roots. What do we call that again? You said it earlier as well. What's, how do we clean up the roots? How do you help them? Look, if their fruits are bad, what's wrong? I've I got to go, re, I've got to refresh your memory again. If, 
If their fruits are bad, what's wrong? Is the, okay, the fruits of the Christian is bad. What's wrong? No faith. So what do you do with those roots? What is that root experience? How do you experience Christ? That's just so airy-fairy. Okay. So you got to share with them the Word of God. Right? Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, when I see bad fruit on a Christian, I don't go, you're going to hell. That's not my prerogative. It's not within my authority to do anything of that such. You know what I'm thinking? God, what can I do for that person to have Bible study with me? And you know, this is not enough. You want to have Bible study? Come on. You're breaking the Sabbath. You should have Bible study with me. You think he'll study with me? No, right? God, I tried. You know what I mean? Like, we see the bad fruit and then we just want to jump in and be the savior of their soul. I don't even know you. Right? Sorry, now I'm getting into evangelism. (laughs) But you know why youth are the way they are? Because adults aren't teaching them the truth. You know how the church is the way they are? Because the pastor is not preaching the truth. Do you know why people are leaving the church? Because the Bible is not held in such high regard. We have programs, but we don't have scripture. You know why I play badminton every Saturday night at my church? You know why? Ah, you thought it was always because I love to exercise, but it's not. You know why? so I can mingle with the youth and show them that I care. You think they will want to have Bible study with me when I see them just once a week for two hours a day, two hours a week? Do you really think that's enough to show them that I care? Hey? What are you doing for the young people to show them that you care? So that when they know you care, then you can show them the Bible. Got to mingle with them. Christ mingled with others as one who desired their good, right? He was such a great mingler that other people thought he was drunk, right? They called him a (laughs) wine-bibber. Sorry, I'm getting into evangelism, and that's a great burden of mine as well. But I want to show you that when it comes to a change in a person's life, it is only by one thing and one thing alone. It is not by peer pressure. It's not by having great music. It's not by having any of those things. It's just the Word. That's it. You see that? And this is why, friends, devotional life is so important. True? If you're not getting the Word in your devotions, then when are you getting it? That you might live by the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Romans 1.17, that was our first text we opened with. 
right? Your works reveal what type of faith you have. So when a person is not keeping the commandments of God, it's because they don't have the faith of Jesus. You can't separate the two. In Revelation 14, 12, here are they, here are the uh, patients of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. You can't separate them. A person will not have faith without the commandments. It's impossible. You know why? Because faith comes from what? Here in the Word of God. Where do you find the commandments? In the Word of God. Works does not save you. But if you have no works, guess what? Your faith is what? Your faith is not perfect. Okay? Do you see that? Many's faith, many people's faith is broken. It doesn't work. <laughs> Jump started. Right? You have to have a faith that works. I wanna, let me show you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, right? This is, the, this is the statement of grace and faith and how it's a gift of God. Watch this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. The Bible says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, right? So look, we are not saved by anything that we do. We're saved only by grace through faith. But just when you're ready to throw away works, you read verse 10 as well. For we are His what? Workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Look, just because I'm magnifying faith, it's not because I'm throwing away works. It's just that as, as Seventh-day Adventists, we think that we have to work so much. But I'm telling you, it's not that at all. The works are a byproduct, a natural result of someone who is spending time in the Word of God. Do you know that? That's where tempers are soothed, angers are eased. This is where soothe and loving words come out of a person where only curse words came out before. You can't change that by yourself. You know, a person who has a fight with his wife and beats her, and he feels so bad for it. He's like, oh, how can I do such a thing? God, forgive me. And they feel really remorseful and sad. And for a few days, they don't do it. And then they go back and beat their wife again. We have temporary change. Many of us have temporary change. A person who gets addicted to pornography and they want to let go, but they just got to stop. They put all these physical hindrances, you know, no more laptop, no more iPhone, no more whatever, no more internet. And they don't do it for a few months. And then one day, they fall again. This is like up and down, up and down, isn't it? 
And this is where we become dangerous with our devotions. I don't know if you experience this or not, but I'm sure if you're as human as I am, you have. You skip your devotion for one day. You get through that day and you haven't cursed, you haven't sworn, you haven't committed adultery, you haven't stolen, you haven't done anything bad. And you get to the end of the day and you go, phew, wow, thank you God for not letting me sin. And you know what creeps in? The thought that it's okay to skip your devotion once in a while. You know what I mean? And that's where our, our foundation gets eroded away bit by bit. I know you've experienced this because this is exactly the same thoughts I have. And you know it's even more dangerous for a pastor as well. You know why? Because I skip my devotion, but oh, I'm preaching for AOY. I, I'm teaching personal Bible study to my contacts throughout the day. So I've been involved in the Bible. And even, oh, I taught Second Coming, the Bible study spoke to my heart. But we don't spend time with Jesus. And we become self-secure. That it's okay to skip once in a while. Until what? Some trial, bam, hits us hard, wakes us up, and you realize how far away you are from Jesus. Do you see that? This is how life gets us. But this is why we must learn to walk with Jesus every day in His Word. This is why devotions are so important. And you know, as I was speaking with one of my brothers here, it made me realize that, um, you know, our topic, one, my topic originally was talking about personal devotion. But as I was preparing my talks, I decided to change it and talk about faith. But I think it's important to just focus on this just for a little bit. I'm sorry, we're out of time now, but just give me a minute. You know, when it comes to devotion, many people don't know how to read the Bible and dig for themselves. Does that happen to you sometimes? Yeah? And you know, we, we treat the Bible like burning incense. You know, the Buddhists, they will burn their incense, they'll put it there and say, God bless me, right? Give you some oranges as well. We walk away from this and we expect blessing from God. And you know, as Adventists, we're exactly the same. One chapter, oh, 15 minutes. God, 15 minutes. You look at the clock, 7.46, okay, pray. Oh, 7.50, wow, four minutes of prayer, that's pretty good. Go away, God bless me. You come back the next day, you read it again, and you get to the end of the chapter. Oh, I read the same chapter yesterday. You know why? Because you forgot. You were tired, but it became a form. I do it because I know it's good for me, because the Bible says I should do it, and the pastor says I should do it, and my parents say I should do it. It's a form, you know what I mean? But you get nothing out of it, because you don't understand the word. And so you're doing it like burning incense because it's just a form, but it's not helping you grow in faith. And that's why many people, you know, I talk about this, and I said prayer and Bible study, it's very simple. Oh, pastor, pastor, I, I, I've done that. I pray and I read the Bible, but I still cannot overcome this sin. 
sister, brother, there's something wrong with your praying and something wrong with your studying the Bible. That's it. There's nothing else to it. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. If you do not know where to begin in your devotion, if your devotional life is like really dry right now, somehow you've stopped growing as a Christian, I want you to go back and listen to sermon. Okay? Faith comes by hearing. I don't want you to listen to sermons while you're doing your laundry. I don't want you to listen to sermons while you're washing your dishes. I don't want you to do your sermons while you're sweeping the floor. Listen to sermons while you're sweeping the floor. I want you to set aside time, sit down, and as you listen to the sermon, write everything you're learning and follow in your Bible what the preacher is saying. Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God. For many years, when I first began to have devotion, I'm not ashamed to say it now because I realize that everybody's experience is just like mine. I listened to sermons for many years. And it was in the days when Audioverse was not available. Okay. The Word of God was precious in those days. (laughs) I want you to listen to the sermon, but I want you to give it its full attention. Not while you're driving in the car. Not while you're sitting on the bus. Not while you're sitting on the toilet. I want you to sit down at your table and say, God, what are you trying to tell me this morning? And if you can't finish the whole 40 minutes, there's this thing called the pause button. Write the time of how many minutes your sermon has elapsed, and in the evening, come back and finish it. Okay? And I guarantee you, you will grow. And look, if you have to listen to sermons for years, do it. It's better than not understanding the Bible at all. Because many people still, they, they want to be a hero. Hmm, I don't want to listen to this preacher. I want to get it for myself. And they sit there and they still don't understand. You know what I mean? Some can, but you know, not everybody has the understanding. So let God speak to your heart first. Faith comes by hearing. That which was from the beginning. First John chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of the word of life. If you don't know how to handle and look and see, start with hearing. There's no shame in that. Don't be proud that you have to listen to a preacher for your devotion. If it helps you grow, amen. Amen? That's all you need. It's not, what did you read in your devotion this morning? Well, I studied this and this and that. What did you? I listened to so-and-so. But you might gain more from that than this person did in their good Bible study. You know what I mean? Devotion is all about this one thing. What is God trying to communicate to you? And if you are not growing in a daily devotion, that means you're not growing in faith. And if you're not growing in faith, guess what? You will never be righteous. Impossible. And if you're never righteous, you will never have good works. 
you will never obey the commandments of God. Is that clear? It comes back to one thing, and that's been the burden of all my preaching. It's the Bible. The Bible and the Bible only should be our watchword. Yeah? Let's bow our heads for a prayer, and then I'll give some time to question and answer. Father in heaven, Lord, help us to see the power of your word and help us to experience that power in our life. Lord, help us to realize that there's nothing that we can do to experience that power except to expect and to depend upon your word for everything, for life itself, Lord. And so, Father, if we have wandered far from thy word, I pray that you would, with your arms of love, draw us back again and help us to see the blessedness of these words of life that you've given to us and the preciousness of these words and what they mean to us today. Lord, please continue to help us to grow in faith is my earnest plea, for I pray in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.